Proudly coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee, this is the Frontier Podcast. I'm your host, Ledge, and we are powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on iTunes and join the conversation at the Frontier Pod on Twitter. Giddy up. Staff developer advocate Kelsey Hightower is tech community famous for his down-to-earth and refreshingly funny keynotes. In this episode, we talk about putting people first and tools second on the path to engaging an authentic engineering practice. Hey, Kelsey, great to have you on, man. Awesome. I'm, I'm looking forward to being here. Can you just give like you know, a two, three-minute background story yourself, your work, you know, how you, how you got here? Yeah, so I'm one of those... And I'm one of those people with no, you know, computer science degree that just kind of worked their way up, self-taught, you know, worked in the data center, worked in the enterprise, worked in open source companies like Puppet Labs, CoreOS. Now I'm at Google, the big cloud provider, but has a mix of all of those elements over my career. And, and I'm still that person that's out in the community, you know, just trying to build tools that I want to use and hopefully you want to use. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we can get into all kinds of serverless, GK and all this, like, I mean, you, you've talked endlessly about it, you know, and what I've been struck by is, you know, watching some of your, your keynotes and your work is uh, maybe that like a more holistic approach to, to engineering, that it's, it's not, um, it's not all command line and code, you know, and you ended your keynote at, at CNCF with, you know, you said you're an engineer, you know, act like one. And I wonder, you know, if you could just like expound on that. So I thought it was like a really, mic drop profound moment yeah so that that whole phrase so you know when i do those keynotes there's no speaker notes i'm looking at people talking directly to them and a lot of what i've been seeing in the industry lately is like we've kind of turned our brains off and we're trying to run through the group think you know i read this blog post that's telling me what i should be doing uh maybe i should just be doing this because it's the fashion technology of the week and the thing is engineering is not about that right like when you're going to go build a bridge you're building that bridge for the community that you're in right you're trying to connect two things that are hard to get to so as an engineer these are just tools they don't define us kubernetes doesn't define who you are the language you write in doesn't define who you are We're just, the problems you're trying to solve and what you believe in defines who you are so these are just tools that i wanted people to really take a step back put themselves first put the people around them first and then as a group start to consider the tools that help them get the mission done. And that's what I kind of meant. I want us to go back to being engineers first versus I'm a Linux administrator. It's like, no, you're not. <laughs> you're you, and you can leverage those tools to get the job done. And I've seen you talk on Twitter, you know, about sort of the customer empathy sessions that, that you facilitated. Does that play in there? You know, trying to reopen those connections to other areas. You know, I came from, when I was a software engineer, you know, it was like, we're all in the basement. And the lights are off. And, and I mean, God forbid you ever let an engineer talk to the customer. I mean, it's just like the sea change now. Is that all the same conversation? Yeah. So I'm that person that come, turns the light on. And you're like, hey, dude, we're in here coding. What are you doing? I was like, yeah, yeah, come up for a minute. Let's see what you've been building. And I think it's very important for an engineer. You know, some people, you know, can get down or feel sad. Maybe their product isn't perfect because they know where all the bugs are. They know it isn't perfect. And some people may not understand how a customer wants to use it, so they constantly are fighting, building the wrong thing. So what I like to do with these empathy sessions is, you can imagine some of the ones that I posted online, where you take a group of people maybe working on Kubernetes. You say, listen, 
let's all come up. Maybe you're working on the scheduler. Maybe you're working on something that's buried so low level in Kubernetes, you may not have a chance to understand how people are using it. It's like the people who work on an assembly line but don't have a driver's license. I want to get you in that car. I want you to understand what it feels like when you hit a bump so you know how to work on that suspension. So I think for them, it's more about being empathetic that maybe what you're building is actually really, really good. Have you used it? And maybe showing them what the alternatives are. And in many ways, what they're learning is there's low-level pain point that we can solve if we just knew what the immediate needs are, right? So everyone wants to work on complex thing that takes years or months to do. But man, there are things that you can do in two weeks that would just save the whole world thousands of hours, right? If they didn't have to have those sharp edges getting in the way. Um, you know, one thing that popped into my head watching some of the work that, that you've done is, you know, I, I have this, I call it like engineer dogma, you know, and I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. It's like these endless sort of like vitriolic debates about vendors and frameworks and language, you know, we're like pick your poison, right? And, you know, I just wonder like, what do you think about like where, where spirited debate stops being productive? Because I mean, you know, we all know like great improvements come from, you know, sort of productive disagreement. Uh, but then, you know, I just see these like endless things um, where there's not productive disagreement and it's just like, you know, I'm going to line up and like fight about the thing that I have used all these years. I don't know. How do you, how do you see and like experience that, you know, being in the, the advocate space? Yeah. So, you know, as an engineer, I remember maybe six or seven years ago, I was working at this financial institution and, you know, they have the tools that they have, right? You may not like them. It's like, hey, here's our CICD tool. And I look at it, it's like, yo, I'm not familiar with that thing. Jenkins is better than that. Or this other tool is better than that. And what, and what I discovered is like, you know what? Who cares, right? All of these things are the same. They're going to run bash scripts in a specific order. I need to know how this one runs its bash scripts. And I said, you know what? I'm going to like not care, but in a good way. If this is what we have, I want to take that thing to its end game, right? Like what can it actually do? And then when, what you end up understanding is like you got to give in order to receive. So you say, hey, look, I'll use the system that you have. I'll use the system that you want. Because the only thing I care about is the fact of using CICD. Don't really care if it's Jenkins. Don't really care if it's Bamboo or Travis CI. That doesn't matter. Now, when we hit the wall, you're going to see that I put my all into making what we currently have work, making your tool of choice work. But when we hit that wall, it's got to be real clear that this is not going to meet the high-level mission of what we're trying to do. And if you've seen the amount of effort that I put into helping you try to succeed with your choice, I need you to meet me halfway where I say, look, this thing is not going to get us where we need to be. So I think that's where you start to say people argue about CICD for years and still don't have CICD. You're just better off flipping a coin, picking anyone that's out there go all in, and then if you end up in three months where it isn't perfect, then you have the right amount of data to make the next choice. In the tooling environment, I mean, it's just like with this like explosion, exponential numbers, more tools, DevOps, infrastructure, orchestration, you know, like how do you see, it's just the industry kind of dealing with that, like ultimately, at least, you know, in the market dynamics, there, there may be like a, a consolidation wave, you know, in the next five years, you can't even evaluate all the tools, you know? So if you're getting into like, as a, as a vendor, right, I would be like a little scared that, wow, we're now so saturated that we're talking about coin flipping to pick, <laughs> to pick the tool, right? Um, you know, where, where's like from industry vibe, where's it going? 
I think honestly, the plethora of tools that are available are just like the plethora of ingredients and food available, right? Like you go to a grocery store, there's 10 versions of, you know, this particular ketchup. There's 10 brands of soda. Like, look, you're going to get the one that tastes good to you. Everyone's slightly different. Everyone's coming from a different place. It's also situational, right? If I'm with vendor X and they provide 90% of my other tools and the other tool that they have in the portfolio I need, but it's only as 80% as good as the other ones, more than likely you're going to go where you have an existing relationship, right? We shop at the grocery store closest to our house, not necessarily the best grocery store. So I think a lot of people, when it comes to evaluating these products, it's all, a lot of it's going to be situational. Can you get support? Can you hire people for this thing? Is it good enough for you? <laughs> to me, that's like the number one. Maybe it doesn't do everything, but maybe you don't have every problem. So I think for a lot of people, it's just really pick one, start there and use that as the kind of baseline for making the next decision and be fair. You may not have to. I think a sales kitten just died somewhere at a, at a vendor, but you know, <laughs> let, let, let that go for now. You know, so here's the next thing I was thinking about and I'd love to get your opinion on this. I mean, you know, obviously like, you're huge, huge and serverless and, and Kubernetes and, and you look at all these things and I think the like, the operative word is abstraction and, and just continues to be, you know, we abstract and abstract and abstract, you know, I can still remember back when bare metal was a thing. And it's just simply, you know, so far above that. Now, what is next couple of years, five years, like what's the next level of abstraction and, and what's the next level after that? I think the next level of abstractions are workflow abstractions. I think we've kind of reached the limit on what we're going to do in terms of like programming abstractions, right? So it's like we have this kernel that sits on top of, for most people, Intel instruction set. The kernel gives you system calls. Your programming language abstract those system calls away with functions and classes and libraries. Then we have frameworks that abstract that away a little bit more. And now we have platforms like Kubernetes that abstracts you know, the deployment of that artifact into containers. And then even higher level, we start to have things like Lambda that turns a lot of our abstractions into events and just focus on the business logic, right? Transform this request into something else. Take action on this particular event. And then you start to get real close to workflow, right? This thing is only being called when a file is being uploaded, right? This thing is only doing X because X happened. So now you start to look at what workflows can we do to improve, right? If I give you a piece of code, you can almost scan that code and tell me what the security aspects of that code should be. It's only writing to the database, not reading. Okay, maybe I generate permissions automatically for you, attach it to it, and make it where there's only one step to do deployment versus go set up IAM, go set up the database, go set up the schema. You can almost parse my code and say, oh, the schema needs to look like the struct. I'll just generate all of that for you. And that's going to be an amazing time where you can just articulate what you want to do and then the new abstraction, just workflow abstractions. That's going to be crazy. I've heard that described as the move from orchestration to choreography. Is, is that correct? Does that resonate with you? Yeah, I think you see that a little bit now, right? So to, to me, Kubernetes is more choreography for a lot of people, right? You say, here's my service. And then underneath it, there's a lot of orchestration happening. The thing that creates the low balancer, the thing that makes sure that it stays there. But in Kubernetes, you kind of just tell it the way you want the world to relate to each other. Like, here's the steps you go do them. And I think that is an essential piece to move us forward. So let me shift gears totally here. I, you know, I watch, I watch your talks and I'm like, I'm, I'm not a command line, you know, sort of dev guy anymore. Like I, I basically understand what you're, you're talking about, but like, I enjoy them. And 
you are a good tech speaker and you're funny and your comedic timing is just like spot on. And I just find myself enjoying it. It's like a reality show. And I just wonder like, how do you pull that off? Because I, I think that, I think that people want to do that. I just, what's your process on, on performance? Yeah. So when I used to early speaking engagements, I used to just do the most technical thing possible, right? Here's how Python iterators work in compared to Haskell. Here's how Kubernetes scheduler works. And you know what? There's a time and place for those talks as well, right? That's the technical deep dives, educate people, kind of like a college professor would do. But on the keynote stage, I think it's different, right? On the keynote stage, you have a range of skill sets, disciplines, backgrounds. People also probably want to break from all of those tech dives and, and deep sessions. So to me, it's like part entertainment, part performance, and it's a story. Hey, I'm a developer looking to move towards serverless. And I want to see what that looks like in your world or what it will look like in my world. So I just come up with the story first. Like at KubeCon, you mentioned the path to serverless. So I come from the Kubernetes world. And there's a way I think about what Kubernetes brings to the table. And then when I look at the serverless world, it looks a certain way to me. So the goal is like, look, you know, there's some good parts about it. Like, yo, this looks like some CGI script. Like, I don't know if this is ready for prime time. And then you start to see similarities. You start to see differences. So when you get on stage, you just tell that story. So I, I typically start with like an end-to-end -end process. Like, I want to go from Kubernetes to Lambda. What do you have to do? And then once I figure all of that out, I smooth it out into something that I can actually show live on stage, right? And then to make it a little bit more engaging, I was like, well, if I just copy a Docker container, untar and get the binary out and put it on Lambda, that's cool. But you know what? I'm going to write a tool called Diana and it's going to do, right? It's going to play music to really up-level the audience and say, yeah, you took something that could have been super boring and then you make it super engaging and you break up the content in a way that it's like a roller coaster. I'm learning a lot. I'm having fun. I'm learning a lot. I'm having fun. You, you talked about your background, I think, in, in music, right? Um, in, in Atlanta, how does that, that play into it? I mean, is that, is that you bringing that along to the engineering space? Honestly, I think I just found the courage to just be myself, right? I used to think I have to pronounce all the words right. I have to look a certain way. I have to mimic maybe a college professor. And I was like, yeah, I'm not doing that anymore. You know what? I'm listening to Diana Ross this week. We're going to put that in the keynote, right? I, like when I'm in a circle with friends, I like to tell jokes. I like to have a little fun. So I decided that that will also be my onstage persona, would be the same persona if you were just hanging out with Kelsey in high school or at the after party at the conference. So that's where that kind of comes from, right? A lot of people have these personalities as well, but we feel we got to hide that personality in the business setting because we think it may, you know, put us in the wrong light. But I'm just like being me on stage. I think, you know, just the, the key word there is, you know, authenticity in all factions of life that takes... I'm going to say maybe a level of, if not maturity, experience to be okay in oneself in a professional environment. Let's say I'm listening to this and I'm at home and I'm kind of introverted and, you know, just, but I want to get there. Like, I want to be you. What's the path to authenticity for, you know, sort of an engineering thinker who really is, is kind of fun and, and can really interact personally, but doesn't know how to do it at work? You got to have some situational awareness, right? Like you, you, what you believe is acceptable ain't acceptable to the world, right? Some of these jokes are terrible. You got to make sure you at least have situational awareness on how the world works. And some people don't because they haven't interacted with people before. 
right? Not in a meaningful way for them to understand that everyone has gates and boundaries and you should respect them. So that's, that's step one. You got to make sure, because you just can't go and say, well, I'm an asshole. I'm going to be an asshole, everyone, because that's just me. This is, that's unacceptable. There's nothing you can do about that. But once you do get in the right place where you understand a little bit how the world works, you have a little bit of empathy for other people's perspectives, then you'll also be able to respect your own. So you'll know how much of that you can broadcast and what way you can broadcast. So the goal is not to be offensive. That's not cool, even though people get a chuckle out of it, but just to be your authentic self. So make sure you know who your authentic self is first. Once you have that, if you're a little awkward and you really, really like Star Trek and you find some Star Trek jokes funny, great. You can incorporate that into what you do. And there's nothing wrong with that because people like to see that that mix up, right? They like to say, oh, you're just like me. I have those same interests. It's kind of cool that you've made something a little bit more relatable to me than just mathematical equations, right? Tell me a story about something that happened on the ship and how that relates to software in the real world. That, that can hold my attention. So I think that's kind of the goal. Like, you know, I know that people are going to hit you. You got to know that the more successful you get, the more people will be on your radar or you'll be on their radar and they're just going to say, I don't like it, right? People don't like Michael Jordan. People don't like Tom Brady. People tend to hate the winners. So when you're doing really, really, really well, that's when more people will publicly hate you because that's just how it works. So you got to know that and you can't let those critics drown out all the people who appreciate what you do. I appreciate those insights. Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. I, I feel that you probably have some hard won you know, experiences that, that got you to that point of, of self-actualization. And, and, and that's super cool. You know, I, I wish for that for the 20,000 engineers that, that we're talking to today. Any, any last words, anything we missed or, you know, something you want to make sure people are, are paying aware, uh, awareness to, you know, in their work and, and what you got going on in uh, 2019? Yeah, I think um, a lot of people just broaden what you're exposed to. You know, for me at Google, every quarter or so, I'll switch between different technologies. I spent some time in the database world, really understanding how Spanner works. I spent time working on serverless stuff. You kind of saw that a little bit last year, kind of back in the Kubernetes space. And then the people that I surround myself around, right? I just go into different communities, right? In that mobile space, maybe different ethnic groups. You know, I got people in different parts of the country and saying, well, we adopt technology in different ways here. You know, knowing some people in Nairobi telling me like, yo, this is where technology benefits us the most. You talk to the people in Germany, this is how technology benefits us the most. And the more that you do that, you start to really understand what you're actually doing and what your potential is. People have a very narrow scope. So some people believe their potential is writing the best PHP on earth. And that's unfortunate because that can get very boring. It's not very exciting. It's not going to be the reason why you wake up in the morning. So if you expand your boundaries just a little bit, then you start to understand what your potential will be. And I think that is a key takeaway that we don't often cover in our talks or in some of the engagement that we do with each other. Well, now you just covered it, man. We're, we're breaking new ground here. Thanks so much for your time. It's really, really cool to have you on and, and I hope you have an awesome year, you know, advocating across the globe. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io slash podcast to get in touch and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.
Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.